Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Thanks for listening. Can you hear me? I'm going to go ahead and get into this this morning. I'm I'm hoping and I'm prayerful that uh, I won't deviate from it much. But if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. I want to cover uh, two, maybe three scriptures here and then proceed from there. And hopefully, hopefully. Uh, I know I've been saying over the last couple of weeks, I don't know when I'll get through all of this. Uh, and I don't know, I still don't know today, but I know there's, there's really a place that I want to take you. There's one scripture that I want to bring you back to, a scripture that I've referred to over and over and over in the last couple of years. Uh, <clears throat> all of this has been to get you back to this one scripture, and I have not been able to get you to that scripture yet. And I'm hoping to be able to do that uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks maybe uh, to get us up to the place where I want to go, where I want to lead everybody as far as, the, uh, as it pertains to the revelation that the Lord has given me. If you have your Bibles and we're in Second Genesis, or Genesis chapter 2, not Second Genesis, excuse me. <laughs> uh, starting with verse 7, I'll read verse 8, maybe 9 and 10. So the word of the Lord says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10 says, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it parted and became into four heads. Now, you know as of lately I've been talking about pursuing the river, chasing the river, how we we become tributaries of the greater cause, and, and tributaries feed the river. And I believe in a spiritual context that we have to understand that We are tributaries to the greater river, Jesus being the greater river, but we're also accumulated or an accumulation of those tributaries or an accumulation of the source, I should say, to make up those tributaries. What I'm saying is, and what I've said over the last couple of weeks is, that chasing the river involves us to go from point A to point B. But point A and point B are both the river. That when we begin to come out of the river to pursue the river, then we come into the, we enter re, or re-enter, if you will, back into the river. The, you have to understand that this, I don't want to say circulatory, which means it goes round and round and round and round. I, I don't want to say circulatory, I want to say constant. Because when we get into the flow that is Jesus, there is a constant, there is a consistency of the flow never ending. Amen. This is, this is actually what I would define as revival, a never-ending never flow. 
I don't know, I don't necessarily know if, or even agree, or un, I don't even know if I believe that when we talk about we entered into revival and revival ended. Uh, I think that we had a good run of some very, maybe, you know, spiritual services, and we called them revival. Maybe our intent was revival, but I really don't know that we have the, uh, that we have a adequate perception of what revival really pertains to. Uh, we think that it's just, you know, the common perspective of revival is a series of services that we have consecutively from night to night to night to night to where people who come in off the street give their lives to God or, or they go to an altar call. That's, that's our common perception or perspective of revival. That's not the right. That's not, I don't believe that's a, a biblical perspective of revival. I believe that the biblical perspective of revival is the bride coming into constant continual communion with her groom and therefore being the source in which produces, okay, Jesus produces the source that we then reproduce into the community. Revival is never, and, and when I was a young minister, I, pro, I preached this. I'm still a pretty young minister, barely 35 years old. But when I was a, I, I'm going to say a, 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 a more immature or a less mature minister, I was preaching the, that we have the wrong context of revival. Revival, we preach it in the context that it's for the community. No, it's not. It's got to revive the church first. And we miss the point when we come into a church service thinking that God's going to have to revive the community because he can't revive the community until he first revives the church. And when he revives the church, the overflow happens to where the community then uh, reaps the benefits or consequences, however we may want to view that. And I don't believe that, that revival is limited to spirit-filled church services i believe that it is extended to the reality of spirit-filled communities a spirit-filled revival spirit-filled church has got to have the consequence of an overflow of a spirit-filled community when we begin to see the spirit moving within the community then we will begin to receive i believe rightly in our hearts that revival is being established because he is beginning to produce a source into the church that the church is being able to reproduce into the community revival i believe if i had to define it and i say this a lot all the time something's going on with the electricity isn't it that we are as a church given a responsibility to birth his presence ultimately into his absence and we're dealing with a community i don't care if we drive that way or down this way or when we get to 971 whichever way we decide to turn we're driving in the midst and the reality of the absence of the presence of jesus in every, every in every uh <clears throat> in every instance that we witness why, why, are, why do we see such a moral decay? Why are we seeing the, the, the absolute dispen, the, the, the erosion of the fabric of the church and, and, and the fabric of family and a fabric of fatherhood and family, fabric of the marriage? We're seeing such a deterioration and a de decay in all of these things. Why? Because we're dealing with absence instead of stewarding presence.
There's a major difference here. There's a major difference. And listen, I'm just going to, I'm trying not to deviate so much, but listen, where did Adam fail? In stewarding the presence of Yahweh attentively. That's where he failed. Where does most ministers, nine, out of, nine times out of ten, fail? They get so caught up in their image that they fail to steward the one that they were given by, Jesus, by God, by Yahweh. It then, listen, it, when, anywhere I have ever failed, it's been my ministry and my work or my church or my sermon or my message. That's where I failed. That's why I'm so passionate. Listen to me. That's why I'm so passionate when I preach because I don't really believe it's my message. I believe it's his. I believe with everything in me from my head to my toe that when I preach, I'm not giving you a message that I came up with. I'm giving you a message that he sourced in me and allowed me to resource to you. That's what I believe. And I believe if we're not doing that as ministers, we're failing. And we need to step down, step aside, and let somebody else step in that will do the will of God in every church house. And it's a sad reality that we're not seeing that. We're seeing men that want to be the, be, be the head of the church instead of allowing him to be the head of the church. Well, um, by God, I'm the pastor. Yeah, you are. But, uh, you know, the pastor, you need to be listening to what Jesus is saying, and you ain't. You listening to what you're saying. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that we're supposed to be listening to the God on the inside of us. And there's a lot that say, I heard from God, but they're not hearing from Yahweh. They're hearing from self because they have began to rearrange their priorities to where they make themselves the priority over God. And then them themselves become their own idols and the ones that they're. Listen, I've had many ideas. Amen. Have you? There's been, I've had many ideas come through this mind of mine and I have almost, I have been convinced and convinced other people at times that this was the will of God. And it was, no sir, was it the will of God. It was the will of self. It was the will, I about said, it was the will of Seth and it was the will of self and I failed. Why? Because self become the idol in which I was worshiping. Why? Because anything that I came up with an idea, or any idea that I came up with, actually had me as the emphasis. Or emphasis. See? I put the syllable on the wrong emphasis. I used that Wednesday night, Brian. I said, y'all tell Brian I used the quote. He probably, he probably would have come up with it. He's smarter than me. He's a plethora of movie quotes. Yeah, sometimes he says quotes and I just look at him like, act like I know what he's talking about. I've not seen that many movies. Like I said, if you've ever heard me talk before, <clears throat> when I was growing up, we had one TV and if the Atlanta Braves wasn't on it, then nobody was watching it. Or if the Atlanta Braves was on it, then everybody was watching it. If the Atlanta Braves wasn't on it, nobody was watching it. We watched the Atlanta Braves. That's what I grew up on was the Atlanta Braves. Chipper Jones, Dave Justice, y'all know Terry Pendleton, Tom Glavin, Greg Max. <laughs> yeah, yeah, y'all, right there's the door. Y'all just go on. Y'all don't know nothing about that 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 error. Then we can't go any further in in this relationship. Andrew Jones, Bobby Cox, nothing. Help me, Jesus. Terry Pendleton, I done said him. Lemke. Huh? Zebro. <laughs> Zero.
So if I'm pursuing the idol within myself that is self, I failed. And so often and so frequently, that's what we do. It, it, listen, and sometimes I view this and I say, is it really our fault? It, it is. But man, it's such a, it's such a subtle transition. It, it came about with all sincerity to do good when we, when we deviate or we waver. Uh, and we were so blinded to the fact that we had turned aside or turned away from the will of God that we were so far gone when we realized that we did it. And some of us don't even realize that we turned or wavered. Uh, so I know I preach kind of harshly on that fact, but sometimes I have to sit back and say, you know what, I know that guy didn't really mean to turn so far to the left or so far to the right, and maybe I should pray for him. Uh, and you know what, I believe, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I have everything right, but I do believe I have a different view or point of view of the things that we, that we, that we promote as necessity within the church. And I know this is going to come across maybe as offensive, and I don't mean it to be offensive. Know my heart when I say this, but the people are not the necessity when it comes to church. They're necessity to paying the salaries and the bills and all of that. But they're not necessity for the kingdom. The king is. That's the only necessity that we need or must have for the kingdom is the king, and his name is Yeshua. And it comes back to what I say to y'all all the time. You don't matter here, and I can say that because I don't matter here. The only one that matters here, his name is Jesus. And until we get a hold of that revelation, we will never, begin, we will never see what God has promised will come into, through, and out of this church. I believe, I believe every word that I've ever spoken to you, that God is going to use this church. That he has marked this church. That he has reserved this church for a time such as this. A time that is yet to come, but a time that also is now. Okay, I said Wednesday when, when Sarah says that the Lord has restrained me from bearing. Do not, no, 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 no. That's the wrong perspective. The Lord has not restrained you from doing anything. He has reserved you for everything. You've got to understand that there is a time. There is, there is, there is a dispensation or even a duration of time that has to pass. Or maybe this, and I really believe this, it's maturity. It's maturity. He doesn't give a gift in immaturity because he knows a gift given in immaturity can be easily perverted. And it's not always an intentional, an intentional perversion. It's because, see, listen, when I became an engine mechanic, they did not turn me loose to go do a 24,000-hour overhaul on a, G, a GMXE or a GMV8 or any of those engines that we work on because they knew I was not knowledgeable enough and I was not mature enough or I was not seasoned enough so I assisted someone in that work I'm capable now of doing that work myself but I had to be an apprentice or I had to be an assistant to someone who already knew that work okay so I had to grow in my maturity or my knowledge most of us aren't growing and when I say us don't take it personal most of us in the church aren't growing in revelation as it pertains to the king and the kingdom and the things of heaven. We're still stuck. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not saying that what, what we've been taught, but some of us have been under D 
deviated. I'm on that word this morning, deviated, because the Lord told me earlier. He said, I don't want you to deviate much from this today. That was a word from the Lord, so maybe he's, you know, hey, I'm going to say this. Frank's going to laugh. I'm going to try to get you out of here a little bit earlier today. I see he laughed. But listen, these guys, these guys said this hundreds of years. I mean, centuries ago. I, I don't know exactly when they were. I'm not, I should be more up to this, but John Wesley. But shall we not see greater things than these? Yea, greater than have been yet from the beginning of the world. Can Satan cause the truth of God to fail? Or his promises to be of none effect? If not, then the time will come when Christianity will prevail over all and cover the earth. Let us stand a little and survey this strange sight, a Christian world. That's so contrary to what we hear today when, when ministers within the limelight will stand on elevated platforms and behind pulpits. And, you know, I, it was earlier in my ministry and I was listening to a guy that is, that is renowned in the televangelist world, renowned and predominant and, ever, and has written many books and, and, and is just a... Uh, beloved, well-esteemed man in the, that, that, that community. I can remember watching him on my TV and he was telling people to go buy canned foods and start hiding in the mountains because the, 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 the end of the world was really at hand. It was about to come to pass. And if we wasn't stocked up on water and batteries... And, and canned foods, and we didn't have a bug-out camp in the mountains to where we could go and hide, then we were going to we wouldn't have to take the mark of the beast. And here we are about 10 years later, and, and, and he's forgotten about gathering goods, you know, non-perishables and canned foods and batteries and flashlights and water, you know, gallons and, and barrels of water because we were going to have to hide out in the mountains. His word's not mine, and I'm almost, I almost took this hook, line, and sinker thinking, my God, people are going to start running to the mountain state because we've got to hide in the mountains. Us Appalachian hillbillies are going to save, the, save humanity. We're going, to, we're going to be the preservation of the remnant because people are going to start running to the mountains. I talk to people locally that still believe that that's going to happen. I'm not here to debate whether it isn't or whether it isn't. But I'm going to tell you. I prefer to believe in my heart. That Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And evil shall not prevail against his kingdom. And I am a citizen, if you will, within the kingdom of Yeshua. Listen, I'm not, telling, I'm not trying to talk you down. If you want to believe that the Antichrist is going to have control over the earth, that's fine. I'm not saying I believe or I don't believe. I'm just saying that I'm reading a Bible that tells me that Jesus is in absolute control. And that Jesus is in the absolute authority and what he says must go I'm also reading a Bible that says he has given me a word that he get not just me but us as the church and that when we begin to prophetically speak those words into the environment then it will prevail over the kingdoms of this earth because revelation says that the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ forever amen The book of Habakkuk says that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth.
What did John Wesley say? The time will come when Christianity will prevail over all and cover the earth. The knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as do, as do the waters cover the seas. Uh, let, let me say this. When we see things happening in the earth that happen negatively and are infused with evil, if we wrongly, if we wrongly perceive those, it will cause us it will cause us to begin to, I believe, draw a false reality. Okay, how do, we, how do we say that saying? That when we talk to people, perception is reality. It's in the eye of the beholder. It's how you see things. Is how, you, how you see things is how you perceive things. Or how you, let me say that. How you see things is how you believe things. That's what I should have said. So we see, okay, to, to get this out of my court, to show you, because everybody in this room knows that uh, John Wesley is way smarter than me and that Charles Haddon Spurgeon is way smarter than me, okay? Th- those, those, from, those were some really revelated guys. I've, I've read you a quote from John Wesley. Now I'm going to read you a quote from Spurgeon. He says that it would, listen to these words. I mean, really, from my heart, I'm asking you to listen to these words. These are not mine. This guy's been dead and gone for many, many years. It would be easy to show that at our present rate of progress, the kingdoms of this world never could become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Indeed, many in the church are giving up the idea of it except on the occasion of the advent of Christ, which, as it chimes in with our own idleness, is likely to be a popular doctrine. I myself believe that King Jesus will reign and the idols be utterly abolished. The Holy Ghost would never suffer the imputation or the accusation to rest upon his holy name that he was not able to convert the world. The Bible says that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. The word of God says that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as does the waters cover the seas. I believe that when we understand that there is a river that is wanting to be let loose from heaven and flow into the church that will then flood the earth. I believe that river is the word, the logos, the revelation, the knowledge of Christ and his glory will begin to flood the church and the church will respond accordingly to understanding the knowledge, revelation and the uh, the glory of Christ and there is a consequence there is a source that the church will begin to resource or reproduce into the community and when communities begin to flood it will have a worldwide global effect of every region and every community uh, being a consequence to the flood that happens first within the church everybody sees the church as destruction we've got to or the, the flood is destruction listen we have to understand that when the flood comes it comes with the intent of restoration, purification, and preservance. Thus, the noadic flood. Everybody sees the noadic flood as judgment. That's the wrong perception. Why? I explained this a couple of weeks ago. Just nod your heads if you remember. But Noah was the first evangelist in the Bible. 
Okay, he was given a revelation that something was going to happen. He was given a revelation as to why this something was going to happen. God was going to destroy the earth. He was going to rid the earth of evil and unrighteousness. Everybody agree with this? He tells Noah what he's going to do. He gives Noah a plan and a purpose and gives him all the provisions in order to fulfill his plan and purpose through a man. A man whose name is Rest. And he sees a righteous remnant within the, 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 the family or the progeny of a man named Noah, a man named Rest. He gives the man Noah... And his progeny, a righteous progeny, this revelation that God is going to send rain. Something that has never happened before in the history of the Bible. And there's going to be this big boat that is going to float. They don't even know what buoyancy is. They have no concept of a boat that floats in water because they've never seen water this deep, nor have they ever seen anything that big float. They don't even know, again, what buoyancy is. And how's this big monstrosity of a bunch of wood that has been nailed together how is this going to float and how is water ever going so they have but still yet to say to to to, long story short Noah preached to them for 80 years while he was building the ark that if they would come and partake in the uh, partake in the opportunity or partake in the grace to step and come aboard the ark then they too would be reserved or preserved so there's a preservation of remnant y'all with me y'all looking at me awful hard is it because because i stepped up here y'all ain't used to me being up here are you but everyone received the same opportunity invitation and the same opportunity and invitation to step into a place of or a posture of position of grace so what did the flood represent The flood represented, most of the time we don't even see this, it represented purification and it represented preservation. Hmm? Why? Because, see, the Lord knows that evil, if left unattended, will have an opportunity and eventually will begin to mesh or merge with righteousness. Look, read your Bible. Everywhere he said to go in and utterly destroy them, he knew that if they didn't utterly destroy uh, that, those people of those communities, that the people of those communities will rise up again and infiltrate their purity. Their purity was their worship to Yahweh, the one and only God. But even, if, even Solomon failed at this. The smartest man to ever live. The richest man that history even knows of. He failed. He failed in one thing that caused catastrophic disaster in his kingdom. Is he began to allow other gods. And uh, he married exotic women. That brought their gods into the temple of the one God. Yahweh. It's the flood. We view it inappropriately through the lens of religion. Well, God's going to sin. He's going to destroy the earth. He didn't actually destroy the earth. He destroyed evil from the face of the earth. But he preserved a righteous remnant so that they would get the same. They got the same mandate as did Adam. Go. Replenish. Renew. Revive. So we've got to understand, I don't, is, is God going to destroy the earth again in the flood? No, he didn't actually destroy the earth 
anyway, he preserved a remnant of righteous people. What is he trying to do today? He is trying to send a river into the church to flow through the church that it would ultimately flood the earth with the knowledge of God. The knowledge of his glory. Are we, are we with me this morning? I'm going to let me cut to the chase here. Ezekiel 43 and 2, it says this, And behold, the glory of the, of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. Say east. The word or the direction of the east always has a symbolism to a foretime or before time or in the beginning. So we have to understand that. Let me go. Say this with me. I'm, I'm going to try to teach here a little bit this, this morning or this afternoon, whatever time it is. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. Say east. East is symbolic and representative to, to, to what? The beginning of foretime and before time. What does Genesis 1 and 1 say? Anybody? In the what? In the beginning. So in the beginning, the voice of God came forth. And in the beginning, the, the glory of God came forth. And the glory of God came into the earth by way of Him speaking in the beginning. Amen? So in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Ezekiel 43 and 2 again. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. And his voice like a noise of many waters. And his voice was like the noise of many waters. And the earth shined with his glory. Let me read that from the NLT, the New Living Translation. Suddenly, the glory of the God of Israel appeared from the east, the beginning. Suddenly. What does suddenly mean? Instantly, out of nowhere, poof, it happened. So suddenly, the glory of the God of Israel appeared. It appeared. From where? The beginning, the east. The sound of his coming, a little bit different language there, isn't it? One says the sound of his voice, or the, the, the sound of his voice was like. The New Living Translation says the sound of his coming was like the roar of rushing waters and the whole landscape shone with his glory. His voice, this is kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stealing this from Damon Thompson, I think, pretty sure, I'm 99% sure. His voice will always announce his presence. <clears throat> he will always announce his coming. When he announces his coming, it will sound as the it will sound as a noise of many rushing waters. It will have the sound of a river pouring out of heaven and into the earth. What did I say about Second Chronicles 7 and 14? If my people who are called by my name, this is God saying if, if this happens. What, what, was, what was that which happened? He mentions it in 13. If I shut up the windows of heaven that it, not, it rain not, if I send pestilence and if I send plagues to my people, here's what you should do. 
So if there's ever a famine, if there's ever a drought, or there's ever pestilence that begins to plague our land, it came as a consequence of the people of God not coming to Him in humility and not coming to Him in intimacy. And that had the consequence of Him shutting off the source of heaven that we no longer had the ability to resource it into the earth. But we have the right through repentance to open up the windows of heaven again. I think all three consequences were a result of God shutting up the windows of heaven. The, the drought, no rain, the pestilence, and the plagues. I believe all three was a consequence of God shutting up the windows of heaven. I believe the consequence of God shutting up the windows of heaven was, was a church or was a people who then shut up their heart and their, their voices, their prayers, and their communion. They shut themselves off from God. They removed themselves from the presence of God, okay? We've talked about this, that nothing can remove you from the love of God, but you best believe that sin will remove you from the face of God, and the face of God is the presence of God. Hmm? Nothing removed Adam from the love of God, but his rebellion and his defiance removed him from the presence of God. God, and he was removed. you got to look at the scripture. He was removed from the presence of God before God ever came in, in to the garden in Genesis 3 and 8. And he says, where, Adam, where are you? That, that was, and, and then, and then he, the Bible goes on to say, hey, he, he banished them from the garden. I really believe that he banished them as long as they lived in defiance, rebellion, and sin. He actually banished them from his own face, his presence okay why because adam had removed himself from his presence and therefore yahweh said you're no longer permitted as long as you're living in a fallen state to come back into my presence and 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 and, and observe or to bear my face is this too much too much disruption i won't keep you long So the east is always symbolic to the beginning, a time before, or a foretime. Genesis 2 and 8, and the Lord God planted a garden. Say garden. These are words that I want you to remember. Garden. He planted the garden eastward in Eden. Say garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Okay. There's three words here that I want to emphasize. One being eastward to Eden and thirdly garden. Even though garden comes first in the order. The word for eastward means again before, aforetime, or beginning. Eastward. that God planted a river in the, in eastward in Eden. And then that the glory of the God of Israel appeared from the east. Everything appears from the beginning. In the beginning, God created. What did God do in the beginning? He spoke. You see, you got, you see this? Are you, are you, am I tying some of these loose ends together today? Because that, that's my hope, and that's what I'm prayerfully trying to do, is tie some of this revelation together. God sees something before time. When he speaks it into existence, it is manifested in how he saw it before, before time. You are not here by chance. God seen you formed in your mother's belly. 
God's seen you before you came out. He knew you and he ordained you and sanctified you a prophet unto the nations. He knows his thoughts that he thinks towards you. He knows his dreams that he has dreamt for you. And they are to prosper you and not of evil. And to give you an expected end. What did I say that word for expected end was? I really, I don't know it. I can't tell it to you. But I'll tell you what the, uh, the definition is. It is actually the ability. This is what, this is what, this is what that means. An expected end. Those two words, an expected end. This is what the one word in the, Arma, the Aramaic or Hebrew means. To have the ability to see into the future and speak it into the manifestation of now. Look it up. <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, that really changes that entire scripture. That if I, listen, what have I said all along about Jeremiah 1 and 5? I believe that God set you in the palm of his hand and he told you your story. You know your story. Sometimes we got to get ourselves back into the posture and the position of in the hand of God so he can begin to tell us our story again so that we can then adequately and accurately prophesy that reality into the fruition and manifestation of now. Hmm? Let me ask you this and I'm going to go on. Do you believe your current state is what God wants dreamt for you? Okay. I don't either. So eastward is before, aforetime, or beginning. The word Eden means pleasure or delight. Are you with me? Eastward means what? Before, aforetime, or beginning. Eden means pleasure and delight. The word garden is the word again. You know what that really means? How many of us visualize this beautiful little uh, garden with vines and flowers and, you know, vegetables and all of these things that were good to eat and good to, for, the, for the pleasure of view and all of this? How many of us picture that? Every time I've been taught the garden from the time I was your kids, our kids, man, the garden. It, I pictured this little pretty stone wall going around maybe like 100 acres or something and Adam just walking around in his birthday suit just having a gay old time. Brought in a little bit of the Flintstones, so don't get offended. Just frolicking through the fields, you know, walking with God. Here's what the word actually means, enclosure. I could, I could really go home now. Because that, that confirms everything I've been teaching for two years and I didn't even know it. The word garden, gan, means enclosure. A garden as fenced. It derives from the word ganan, which means to hedge about, to protect, to defend, to cover, and surround. God created Adam out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. Where was he created first? Do not say he was created in the earth because he wasn't. He was created in the thoughts of or the mind, the heart, and the dreams of Yahweh. And then Yahweh created him out of the same substance in which he created the earth. And then he placed him into a place called the garden. Do you, let me, let me, 
Do I need to say that again? He created him in the heart of his thoughts. In the innermost being of God was the man Adam created. Do you know where you was created? In the same innermost being of the heart of God is where you were first created. That's where you were initially created. That's where you was originally designed. That's where you were authenticated. Was in the innermost depths of the essence of the heart of God. Say amen. Thank you. Amen. I believe that and I hope you do too. So the word gan, which is garden, means the word enclosure. It means the word garden as fenced. And there's, some, there's, there, there's the metaphorical meaning, meaning to this too that I'm going to, I'm going to drop the bomb on us here after a while. It derives from the word ganan, which means to hedge about, protect, defend, to cover, or surround. What do we teach Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 means? That he prays that he would grant you the knowledge of the mystery of the riches of the glory in the saints. Which is, the hope and glory is, I think I messed that up, but the hope and glory is Christ in you. The hope of glory is Christ in you. I like the amplified version because it says that the hope of glory is Christ in you and among you. So you have to understand that if something is among you, is it around you? If it is around you, it is about you. What does the word ganan mean? To hedge about. Hmm? So, l listen, let's go back to Adam. Adam was made, God formed him. And then God breathed the essence of who God is into his nostrils. And that which was just mere dust became a living soul. Why? Because God breathed the breath of life into him. God, from the innermost parts of his being, animated Adam and he became a living soul. So the most inward parts of God became the most inward parts of Adam. And Adam became a living soul and he lived to dwell within the presence of God. So what came out of Adam was initially his access to live within the presence of God. So the presence of God allowed him access to live within the presence of God. So it was God in him, the hope of glory, and it was God around him, the hope of glory. Thank you. Somebody give me an amen every now and then. It helps. I'll get you out of here faster. Going back to verse 7, and it says, And the Lord God formed man in the uh, man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. God created man out of himself, his thoughts, his plans, and his purpose. To place man in or within him, his presence, ultimately the garden. 
Out of God was created man. God was created so that it would, he, would, he would have permission to enter into the presence of God. So out of God was man created. Man was created to go back into the presence of God. Thus, the river is point A and point B. As long as we pursue the river, we're coming from and into the river. Everything in between is the pursuit of point A and point B. Chasing the river. Does that make sense or no sense? Okay. God created man out of himself, his thoughts, his plans, and his purpose. Then to place him again within the presence of himself. His presence, the garden. Psalms 94, 22, but the Lord is my defense. What did I say the word garden meant? Or the word ganan, to defend. So the presence of God is my defense. The Garden of Eden was man's defense. Again, Psalms 94, 22, But the Lord is my defense, and my God is my rock and my refuge. Psalms 18 and 2 says that the God is my fortress. Psalms 91, He is my refuge and my fortress. Psalms 91, 9, and 10, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. What is a habitation? It is a place, it is a place in which you dwell. Does anybody remember? We taught on Psalms 91 for about two months. That there is a Psalms 91 inhabitation to where man can dwell in the presence of God. We referenced Psalms 91 to actually being a posture and a position of man being in the, the garden. Verse 10 says, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thee, nigh thy dwelling. You've made the Most High your habitation. Nothing can hinder you that is of evil because it cannot come against your dwelling. Who can it not come against? Not what? Exactly. Evil cannot come against, nor can it prevail against God. So if I am dwelling within the presence of God, evil or any plague of the witch cannot come. That sounded kind of cool, any plague of the witch, huh? No plague. No weapon formed against ye can prosper. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Why? Because those things that are of evil and of wicked intent cannot come against, nor can it prevail against the dwelling. Who is the dwelling? Not what? He is the dwelling. His name is Yahweh. I was created to live as a living soul, but my life was permission for me to live inside the one that gave me life. That's why Jesus says, I came to give you life more abundantly. He came so that we would be granted access back into the indwelling and the dwelling of Yahweh. Him in us and us in Him. What does indwelling mean? It means it dwells within. What is intimacy? Intimacy means innermost. God dwells, or indwells the innermost being of you. Where did God dwell in Adam? In the innermost being of Adam. 
Where did Adam receive the innermost being of God? Or where did, where did Adam receive the indwelling of God from the innermost being of God? Intimacy. Into me, he sees. Amen? Okay. Into him, I have access to see. Intimacy. Let's see. Verse 10. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. Again, Eden means pleasure. Before I go any further, and we're going to quit right here. And I'm hoping I don't want to deviate from it because that's the word of the Lord. But I hope you get it. I hope you're getting it. Because there's a river wanting to flow, and it's wanting to flow through you. Into and from you. Intimacy. God created man and then placed him in the garden. He placed him in the garden to tend it. He placed him into the garden to be attentive to it. And out of the garden went a river. Or out of Eden, and a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence was parted and became into four heads. I, in existence, became into existence out of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Out of the east come the voice of God, and it sounded as, a, as the noise of many rushing waters. Do you, see the, do you see the correlation between the voice of God, the logos of God, and the beginning and the east? In the beginning, the Lord spoke, and when he spoke, the essence of the words that he spoke was Jesus, the logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by Him, and there was nothing that was made that was not made by Him. He created everything. Jesus. He is the living Word, the spoken Word, the written Word. And by the Word of God has all things come to manifestation. By the word of God will everything that he shows you come into reality or fruition. To give you a future and a hope or an expected end. What is the future and a hope? A future and a hope is a promise. There's a promise alive on the inside of you. Amen? So I have to understand that the garden, again, was not a geographical physical location it did not have a latitude or a longitude there was no physical address which i could send something via ups to the garden the garden was wherever adam was because wherever adam was he was created to be in the presence of god so wherever adam was god was and wherever god was adam was but what happened adam got lost in his own thoughts what was his own thoughts towards himself there's where he messed up Jesus came back into this earth. He 
was the current and the flow of the mighty river that came into this earth. And he was collecting himself tributaries that those tributaries would not be happy or content within themselves until they found the river again. Amen. So out of his presence are we created and we flow into his presence or the pursuit of his presence. Amen. So I want to show you something. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. It does not say that he formed him in the earth. Does it? And the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. I believe the garden is represented. I believe the garden is symbolic to a womb. And he created Adam within the very thoughts of his heart and his dreams and planted him into the garden with the intent that out of Adam would then become the whole of humanity. And as a consequence of out of Adam becoming the whole of humanity, that the understanding and the knowledge and the communion and the intimacy that he had with the Father would continue to trickle down through generation to generation to generation. A legacy of progeny. That he would be the, pro, the, the, the progenerator, the progenitor, the progenitor of a progeny. And, or, uh, something that generates generation after generation after generation it's funny that the word generational is comes from the word to generate he gave him the ability and and listen i could go even further than that it's not good for man to be all alone so god puts adam into a deep slumber and takes a rib out of his side and then creates woman and adam says i will call her woman because out of me out of my side did she come forth or out of me did she come forth so adam actually gave birth to eve first before eve ever gave birth to humanity hmm Dr. Simmons uses this illustration that out of humanity was birthed out of the side of Adam and the church later in the New Testament when the, the centurion took a spear and, and pierced the side of, of, of Jesus and out of his side flowed water and blood, rivers of what? Living water. Why? Because both of those are necessity and vitality to sustaining life in the earth, blood and water. Both flowed from the side of Adam. So humanity was born out of the side of Adam, but the church was born out of the side of the Christ. Y'all y'all struggling, I think, ain't you? Y'all am I my way out there? Y'all just quiet. Means y'all getting it, ain't it? Means y'all soaking it up, right? Y'all help me out here. Make me feel good about myself, okay? <laughs> I'm gonna get me one of my air horns, Frank. Stick it right here, one of them little ones. Wow. Where was I? And he breathed into Adam. Adam became a living soul. He put God, Adam in the garden, and there he put the man in whom he formed, and out of the ground made the Lord grow. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food and 
or the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and become into four heads. Now let me share something with you. We know uh, that the word for garden is gan, which means enclosure or a garden that is fenced. It derives from the word ganan, which means to hedge about, to protect, to defend, to cover, or surround. Okay. The word Eden means pleasure or delight. So I believe that what the scripture is actually saying, and a, and a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. Now, I believe that the Lord created Adam, placed him in the garden, which symbolized the womb, so that Adam then from the womb would be born to, to then continue to regenerate generation after generation after generation. Listen, everything's got to start somewhere, right? Humanity started in the heart of God as God began to speak the existence and the creation of God and informed him, I believe, in, the, in, in his heart, in his dreams, in his purpose, in his plan. He had a plan, he had a purpose, and it was involved and it involved Adam. Adam was the initiative of his purpose. And he purposely placed Adam in a place that represented a, 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 a womb. So that Adam would receive out of communion, that's intimacy, the things of God, and that the things that he received in intimacy with God, he would have permission to birth it into a place called the garden. Because what, listen, because I believe that the river first began to flow from heaven into Adam, then flooded the garden, and out of the garden it flooded the earth. Look what it says. Listen to me here a minute. A man in intimacy with God is the initiator of the world being flooded in the presence of God. See that? I believe that out of his delight, God, Eden means pleasure or delight, out of his delight in the bride a river will flow and out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living waters, John chapter 7. Listen to what I'm about to say here. He created man, he put him in a garden. I want you to notice something here. Let me. It says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. It does not say in the east did he plant the garden of Eden. It says that he planted a garden eastward in Eden. First, he created a garden. Then, he created Eden around it. The garden was the protection or the protector or the defender of his presence. Everything that happened surrounding it was his delight. So he put man in the center or in the presence of his being. And out of the man in communion or intimacy with God came the regeneration of his delight. 
He put man in the center first. His intention was to create a place to where man could have intimacy and communion with God. So when man is in intimacy and community with God, it reproduces his delight. Man in God, God in man, everything that is produced around it is delight or delightful. Am I making sense? And a river went out of Eden. What is the consequence? What is the prerequisite of Eden, his delight? It is man in which he created in intimacy with him. You were created for intimacy and nothing else really matters. Your abilities, your talents, your anointing really doesn't even matter apart from you being created for intimacy. Nothing else really matters. You were created for intimacy, togetherness, oneness, unity, you in him and him in you. You were created for the garden. And as a consequence of a man or a woman, a consequence of humanity being intimate with divinity reproduces a delight in the earth. Listen to what it says. Come on, I hope I'm drawing this conclusion. I hope you're getting it the way that I see it. And a river went out of Eden. A river went out of the delight of God to water the garden. So what happens here? He sends a river to replenish and refresh man in God and God in man in the place of intimacy. There's a, it doesn't stop. Do you see that? The river flows through the posture of man in intimacy with God. That's revival. Because Adam did not, he did not come as a, as an, about as a consequence of revival. Because look, it, there was nothing there. He was, he was dead until God breathed into his nostrils. Okay? He did not, he did not come in through a posture or a place of revival, have a good time and hoopla around and then he died again. No, it was, he had the opportunity, the privilege and the pleasure and permission to remain in a constant flow of refreshing revival. Because because God was pouring and flowing through him at a constant rate. I hope so. That's really where I hope that we can get. And again, again, when I focus on this, the numbers really don't matter. Ties really don't matter. Faithfulness and attendance really don't matter as long as I am attentive to the one who is always present. Salah. As long as I am giving myself to the one who created me, that I would give myself to him. You were created for intimacy into him so that you could see everything about him. Come on. Let me share this with you. I've said for months that there's a river that is wanting to flow openly and constantly through the church. Therefore, by way of intimacy, it would flood the community. What, what's the statement that I make? What, the necessity for what ails my community is me in intimacy. Me in intimacy with God. Okay. And a river went out of Eden. As a consequence of his pleasure, he sins. I'm, I'm going to... I want you to think of rejoicing in the terms of, or excuse me, I want you to think of revival in the terms of rejoicing. 
And a river went out of Eden, his pleasure, and watered or sustained and revived the garden. And from there it was parted and became into four heads. Do you not see that the consequence of Adam being into God and him delighting that God, Adam was in him? Okay? Adam and God together in intimacy is God's delight. And out of that place of God's delight, he sends forth a river that pours from God through man and into the earth. Because the, God, the river flowed through the garden. And from there, it parted and became four heads. Four means worldwide. There's four cardinal directions. There's the north, the south, the east, and the west. And when we understand that us in intimacy will have a consequence of him flooding the earth with the knowledge of the, 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 the glory of God and that, the, that his knowledge will cover the earth as does the waters cover the seas and that kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. We, we will then begin to see this thing from a different light and a different perspective. You're not here today so that God can heal you or I hope I mean, he can and he will and God does that you're not here today just because you need to hear a word from me that is going to encourage listen you're here today first and foremost because this is an opportunity to for you to step into a reviving of intimacy you and him and him and you okay now let me get to this let me put this down let me dust this off I ain't picked it up in a little while let me, say, let me read this again. Out of his delight in the bride. Raise your hand and say, I'm the bride. You are. And don't forget it. You are. Please don't forget it. Out of his delight in the bride. What does that mean? Come on. Through us. She should be the delight of him. She is the delight of his home. And because he delights in her, she brings joy to his life. Hmm? He delights in you. And because you are his delight, you bring joy into his kingdom. You bring joy into his home. Out of his delight in the bride, a river what happens before the woman begins to go into labor? We've all watched the movies where the woman who is pregnant looks at him and says, my water just broken. Every man in the room freaks out and acts retarded. Probably should have said that word. That was a bad word. I hope we're not all overly sensitive. Every man in the room acts completely deranged. So when the woman begins to deliver... What she conceived in her delight or in a moment of delight with her groom. The water will begin to flow. And I believe that there is a church who has been intimate with her Christ. That has conceived within their bellies a living hope. And one day when the moment is right. When maturity has come to pass. That there is going to be a suddenly... That happens and suddenly the glory of the God of Israel will appear that was from the beginning. Amen. Let me read it again. 
Out of his delight in the bride, a river will flow, and out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living waters. Zephaniah 3 and 17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. To rejoice means to show great delight. The expression rejoice is the expression of one's great delight. Let me read that again. To rejoice means to show great delight. That's Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition. This is the way I, I rearranged it. It is the expression of his greatest delight. Do you know what his expression is? Raise your hand and say me. You are the expression of of his delight you are his joy and for him to express it means that he pours himself in you and through you and there's a consequence the world the world benefits from your relationship the world should be able to see you and your wife or your wife and you in love with one another that is a beneficial observance when you see one who was completely loved by another. So loved that there's not actually two beings, but there's one entity. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, for this woman was taken out of me. For this reason, every man leaves his the house of his mother and his father and is joined to his wife. Uh, Jesus says, let whom God has joined together, let no man tear them apart. God is joining himself to a church that is willing to submissively surrender herself in intimacy. And when that happens, there is nothing that can tear them apart or separate them. Let me go on. You are the expression of his great delight. What if we came into this sanctuary next Sunday morning... With a song that expressed our delight for him. And he turned and expressed his delight over us. And started singing and serenading us with his song. What would that sound like? Think about it for a moment. I believe that when he begins to sing over his bride. I believe that it comes with a glory. And then he, when he begins to sing and his glory is revealed, I really believe that his bride is his glory. I mean, when I see some of you guys in here walking in with your wives, I know that, they, you know, they your better half. And they make you look good. Amen. Christian raising her hand. The wife is the glory of the groom. Take care of it. Nurture it. Love it. Hold it. Amen? I believe that we are the glory of intimacy 
And I believe that if we would come in at this sanctuary on a Sunday morning, even next Sunday, and we sang out of our hearts that we were delighted in him, there is a promise that he will then turn and out of love no longer rebuke us, but that he would sing and rejoice over us in song. He sings and it comes from his voice. And his voice comes as the sound of many rushing waters. We want the river to begin to flow. We've got to start chasing the river. When we begin to sing and we begin to pursue and we begin to chase the river from our hearts, there's a consequence of his heart becoming so overwhelmed in joy that he then begins to sing and rejoice in song over his bride. And he then will begin to wash you by the regeneration and the washing of the water, his word. There's a word beginning to flow. There's a river beginning to flow. And it comes by way and as a consequence of you allowing the, 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 the rivers of living waters within you to churn up and to come forth when we sing and we pursue and we chase and we delight in the Lord. It comes as a consequence of Him turning all of those things around on us. He sings, He chases, He pursues. In His delight will He cover us with the knowledge of His glory. she wrote let's go to the Lord Father I thank you again for this afternoon I thank you again for the morning that you've awakened us God that you've allowed us to walk into the dawn of a new day God and a new opportunity that you've given us permission God that we could that we could walk in a continuous and a constant communion with you and as the consequence of that God you are flowing you are continually and constantly flowing as a current does through us, God, that you are flooding and overwhelming us and our circumstances, God, and God, that that is the requisite for your presence to flow and f overflow and overwhelm the circumstances of our community, Father. And we just pray, God, that we will open ourselves up to you. God, that we will just begin to sing from our hearts out of, out of the light and out of joy, God. That, God, that we would feel your heart. God, that we would overwhelm your heart with your delight in us and your joy in us, God. And, God, that you would look down upon this little old church, God, that most would just drive by. But, God, I don't care. I say let them drive by. I'm waving at you today. Let them drive by. Let them look the other way. God, I believe that there's a remnant standing here in this sanctuary. And we've got our hearts open. And we've got our mouths open. And we're singing and we're rejoicing. And God, we're going to live in a delight. And we're going to live in a posture of connectivity and intimacy. God, that you will begin to open up windows of heaven. That there will not be drought, pestilence, or plagues in our lives. Because our dwelling is the presence of Yeshua. And our dwelling is the... Is, is the hedge about us named Yahweh, God, that we're living in the presence of God. We're living in the presence of our Creator. And God, there is nothing. There's no pestilence. There's no plague. There's no drought. There's no destruction. There's no enemy. There's no wicked attention that can come against, nor can it prevail against the dwelling in which I live. I live within your heart because you live within mine. Father, let us begin to understand and let us begin to 
receive that revelation of the indwelling God that we could dwell within the presence of God. Father, let there be a river begin to flow through this sanctuary and through this church and through this remnant, God, that we will begin to see a flood take place within this community, a flood that does not leave not one ounce or moment of destruction, but a flood that only brings preservation and perfection and purity into our community, God. God, that there's a flood that will begin to flow. There's a current that will begin to flow through this church and into our community because we have given ourselves, Father. Father, we've reserved ourselves for you. We've reserved ourselves for you for that place and that posture of intimacy. Father, that you would find delight in us. And out of your delight will begin to flow a river. Your delight in us will come with a consequence of your river and your presence flowing out of us and into a community. Your presence in us will overflow the absence of you in the community. Father, I pray that you flood everybody's circumstances in here today with your goodness and with your glory. And with your graciousness. God I pray that if we have been walking through deserts and desolated places. God that we've been walking through droughts today God. Let us welcome the rain. Let us welcome the rain as I believe it symbolizes your delight and your singing. If we would begin to visualize the rain in our lives as you beginning to send blessings in the form of delightful rejoicings. God I believe that we would begin to be singing. God we would begin to singing in the rain. We would move into a posture of, I'm singing in the rain. Father, let that be the word upon this church today. God, that we would be singing in the rain. Father, we thank you. We praise you. And we know all of this is possible only because of the name of your son. And it is in that name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. However, if you've been affected by God's word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia 24822. That is Tithely.ly dot l y thank you for listening and may god bless you and all that you do today